Welcome to The How of Business with your host, Henry Lopez, the podcast that helps you start, run, and grow your small business. And now, here is your host. Welcome to this episode of The How of Business. This is Henry Lopez, and this episode is all about the fundamentals of sales for small business owners. Sales does not have to be a four-letter word, especially since it's five letters. And most small business owners need to embrace sales by understanding the fundamental concepts. I think that once you learn about what it really is, as opposed to perhaps the misconceptions that you have about sales, you'll feel a lot better about it and have the confidence to feel like you can do sales. To receive more information about the Howa business, including links to the show notes page for this episode and how you can continue supporting my show and receive exclusive content and discounts through a Patreon membership, please visit thehowabusiness.com. I want to thank a few of our listeners who have had the opportunity to speak with recently, including Heidi in Sacramento and Chris in Austin, Texas, who recently have joined my Patreon membership program. Thank you. And I want to thank my listeners in countries around the world, of course, including the United States, Canada, Australia, and the United Kingdom. Thanks for listening to the Howa Business. So what is sales? Well, sales really is, from my perspective, all about effectively communicating your value proposition, the value that you have to offer your customers or clients. I'll I'll refer to them as buyers mostly in this conversation. And what I have found is that the best salespeople are those who are typically humble and approach sales from the perspective of serving others. It's not about convincing or conniving or tricking someone into buying something they don't need. That does happen, of course, but that's not what I recommend. And that's not usually what works best for small business owners. It's not that hard sales approach. And it's also not just about telling people how great you are. It's about uncovering and communicating the value for them. And if you can truly help the buyer, then it's more about helping them navigate through their concerns to the point of making a purchasing decision, hopefully in your favor. The business is out there, not in here. And so that's another misconception. People want to sometimes, depending on the type of business that you're in, sit behind a desk or a computer, or maybe you put up a website and expect that that'll automatically sell what you have to offer. Now, of course, I'm not talking about an e-commerce only site. Of course, there then your website does do the selling. I'm talking about the other types of sales that we have to do as small business owners other than an e-commerce business. Although if that's your business, I encourage you to keep listening because a lot of the same principles apply. It's just that you're doing your selling through your online platform. You know the most about your business when you are closest to the end consumer. And the more you know about what your buyers want, the more effective your sales approach. Here's an interesting question that Lisa McLeod, who was my guest on episode 341 of The How of Business, that episode was entitled Selling with Noble Purpose. Lisa poses this question. How will the customer, your customer, be different as a result of doing business with us. So think about that. I think that frames it at a different level. It's that frames it at a higher level, at at a more noble purpose level, as Lisa explained in that episode. So remember that people don't buy what you do necessarily. They buy why you do it. And that's from Simon Sinek, Start With Why. Many of you maybe have read that book or have heard that book or heard about that book. 
as well as the TED Talk by Simon Sinek. I really recommend at least watching that 18-minute TED Talk because he frames that perspective of it's more important and more powerful that we sell through why it is that we're offering and doing what we do as opposed to necessarily just the what we're doing, the features of what we're offering. And I'll come back to that point in this conversation. But let's get started with some of the misconceptions, some of those misunderstandings perhaps that some of us might have about sales, especially if we've never done any type of sales in our career or in our past. And now we have a business that requires us to do some level of selling. So as I mentioned at the start, it's not about manipulation. That's not what sales should be about for most of us. At least not if you're selling a product that really has benefit, a service that can really help your clients. If that's what you're offering, then we should not be having to manipulate or force or trick anyone into buying from us. The other misconception is that it's just a numbers game. And while that's partially true, right? Some of it is a numbers game. In other words, if you don't have enough leads to work, enough qualified leads, then it's going to be very difficult for you to meet your sales objectives. That is certainly true. So in that regard, it is a numbers game. But the point here is about looking at it as just a numbers game. These are individual potential buyers that have a need or a desire, and hopefully you have something of value to offer them. And so it's about communicating that. Another misconception is you don't have to sell. If you're, if you're good enough, people will find you. And certainly there's a lot of truth to that. You could argue that once you get to a point, your business continues to grow by referrals. But I would argue that that is a type of sales. You've gotten to that point with your reputation, with your brand, with your experience. You're hopefully ideally encouraging people to recommend or refer you. And so that is a version of sales. But regardless, initially, we're not going to have those referrals. We can't depend on that when we first start our business. So you have to sell the value of whatever it is that you're offering, even if it's a service that gets referred eventually. Another misconception, and this is really more about how to go about selling something versus the actual concept of sales, and that is that it's about giving buyers lots of potential choices, lots of menu items, lots of packages. The reality is that all of the research shows, and my experience confirms it, is that the more options you give people, the more likely it is that they make no decision. Because what happens to most of us, it's a human nature thing, is we can get overwhelmed and paralyzed if we can't feel like we can make the right decision. And so less options usually is actually better from uh, helping people make a decision. Another misconception, this is all about the features. If I just tell them all of the different features that I have, all of the different aspects of how my product or service works, then eventually they'll hear something that resonates and then they'll buy from me. And then that is true, but that is not only a painful and time-consuming and potentially detrimental way to go about sales, it's just not how people buy. We need to help them connect the dots to see how these features that we have in our product or service solve a problem or address a need that they have. And that's what we're doing when we're doing sales the right way. Another misconception I hear about is that you're either a natural born, natural born salesperson or you're not. You're one or the other. I'm either good at sales or I'm terrible at sales. And certainly, as with anything, there's certainly some predisposition. I think that what you'll find is that people that are natural communicators, storytellers, 
those types of people tend to be better at sales, but that's just because they've already developed that skill of communication. I'm going to share with you in a moment what I think some of the key skills or characteristics are of successful salespeople, but that's really what that's about. Anybody can learn to get good at sales for your particular product or service that you're offering. So that is definitely a misconception and everybody can do it within their style, within their tone, with an approach that they're comfortable with. But it is something that everyone can learn to do. And then I've heard this, I've heard as I've talked about, if you have an e-commerce, people say, well, the internet has made sales obsolete. And certainly, if you are truly just an e-commerce business and that's the only way that you interact with your clients, then sure, your, your website is doing the selling, your product descriptions, videos, whatever content you might have on that website is doing the selling on your behalf. But other than a true just e-commerce site, and even on those sites, the words on that site are your sales method, your sales vehicle, if you will. So it all really comes down to the same basics. So what's the difference between marketing and sales? And that's very fundamental, but I think it's important to understand that the role of marketing is to generate and to some degree nurture interest in what it is that you have to offer. So we spend money on marketing and advertisement to get the word out and to generate potential opportunities for what we have to offer. So marketing generates the interest and in sales is the process of communicating value and of course, generating revenue by ideally closing new business, bringing in new revenues into the business. As the owner, we have to be effective and comfortable with communicating our value proposition. If nothing else, that's how I want you to think about your responsibility as the owner or one of the owners or one of the principals in a business that we cannot say, well, somebody else will take care of sales. Now that might well be true. Maybe it's a partner. Maybe of course you might hire somebody. You might be a larger organization. So you have a team of salespeople. That's great. As the owner, and especially in the early days of building your business, you have to at least be very effective at communicating your value proposition. And guess what? If you can do that well, and we all must, then that's the core of sales. That's really what it's all about. Now, there are other skills that come into play and other techniques and a process that you apply, but really that's what you're doing. You're communicating the value of your product or service to a prospective customer or client. That is at the heart of what sales is about. Now, talking about marketing and sales, it's always important, depending on where you are and how developed you are with these things, is that you go back to that marketing plan, or if you don't have one, you start there, your marketing and business plan. The marketing plan should have been a subset or a component rather of your business plan. If that's the phase that you're in, then great. You got to make sure that you have that spelled out. But for those of you who've been listening to my show, or if you go back to episode 388, I talk about your small business avatar. And so the avatar, which is also sometimes called the ideal client or the target persona, is that person who you are creating your business, your content, your services, and your products for. And this, by the way, definitely applies whether we're talking about an e-commerce business or a physical brick and mortar retail location. For business to consumers, B2C, your avatar is an individual person. And as I talk about in episode 388, when you're getting started, ideally you niche down as much as possible to one target avatar if possible. 
For business to business, for B2B, your avatar is probably the decision maker in that target company that you are trying to get as a client or and or the, the buyer there, the, the, the influencers as well as the buyers. So that's what we mean by that target avatar, depending on whether you're selling to consumers or you're selling to other businesses or both. So if you don't have that clearly defined, that's where you need to start with being able to do sales effectively in your small business. If you're not able to clearly articulate who your target audience is, and audience is probably a bad word because audience represents a lot of people. So I really want you to think of one person ideally, especially when you're getting started or one ideal type of company and be very specific like in size and what they do and where are they located and how do they buy all of those specific things as specific as possible. If you don't have that clearly defined, that's where I encourage you to start. And what we're thinking about as we're developing that target avatar is we're thinking about these questions and how we're going to address them. First is, what are their problems, pains, or needs? Their problems, pains, or needs. Our, the idea of business, for most of us in small business, is we have identified a need, a problem, a pain, or a need that exists in the market, and we're going to provide a solution for that. Now, we may not be the only ones. Ideally, we're providing it in a slightly different way or in a better way. We're reinventing something, revolutionizing something, or we might have a completely new product. Nonetheless, if there's not a problem, a pain, or a need for our solution, then it's going to be very difficult to sell that, right? How do you help them address that problem? So that's at the core of your value proposition. What is their pain or problem? And how do you help them address that? And what at the end is the value that they get? What is the transformation? What will they get out of or from using, implementing, uh, applying your product or leveraging your service? So those are three critical questions I want you to think about. And once you've got that all put together, if you do already, then the next step to to have the right underpinnings or the right foundational components to being effective with sales in your business is to develop what's often called your elevator pitch or your pitch script, whatever you wanna call it. It's about now bringing it all together and having an, an adjustable or but unique, depending on the situation, version of your way that you explain what it is that you do, what it is that you offer. Again, this is often referred to as the elevator pitch meaning that when you meet someone and you have a short period of time, like in an elevator ride, or more realistically, like at a networking event or a short presentation or a chamber of commerce mixer or a sales call, that first time you call in or visit a prospective customer, that you have a concise pitch on what it is that you help people with and what that value is and are able to communicate that quickly to the point that the response ideally is from the other person, that sounds interesting, tell me more. That's the whole goal of an elevator pitch is to get attention, kind of get awareness, uh, uncover a need, and then have them ask for more. Now, it's slightly different if your business is a retail business and people come in to your retail establishment. Obviously, then when people walk in, you're not giving them your elevator pitch. But I want you to think about how you nonetheless communicate this. And I want you to observe 
when you go into the better retailers that you might shop at, observe how they do this through the environment, through the messaging and signage, through perhaps how somebody greets you or doesn't greet you, how they treat you at the register. Do they offer help while you're in the shop? All of those little things are the way that in retail, you're communicating what you're about and the value that you offer your prospective customers. So once you've got that elevator script or pitch down, then it's, it's a matter of, of how are you going to use it? So in more traditional sales where we're selling to someone uh, perhaps over the phone or visiting them, whether it's an individual client or a company, then you want to evaluate whether what works best for you, a script that you'll follow initially until you've made it your own, or what I prefer to do, which is some notes, some bullet points on the key points of my value proposition, and then I'll say it in my own words. And with practice, I'll get better and better at communicating what my value proposition is. If again, what you are doing is e-commerce and you just have a website, then what I encourage you to ask and look at your website is understand, is my website targeted or am I trying to appeal to everybody in the world, which is usually a mistake, particularly when we're getting started, or have I clearly identified who my ideal buyer is and everything that's on that website, all of the words, the messaging, the images, the videos are targeted at that ideal person. That has a higher probability of success because now I'm looking for my group of people, my tribe, the people that are going to connect with me, my brand, my messaging. And that usually, especially when you're getting started, is much more effective than trying to appeal to everybody. I've mentioned the different scenarios that we might find ourselves in, depending on the type of business that you're in, B to C, business to consumer versus B2B, business to business. So when we're doing business to consumer, it could be that you're a professional, maybe an attorney, an accountant, a doctor, a dentist. Uh, you could be an electrician or a plumber or whatever you might be where you are dealing with individual consumers. Maybe you're a roofing contractor or, or a, a painter. Whatever you might be there in that case, you are trying to generate opportunities for your business. So that's the marketing side of your sales process. And then you maybe you're getting calls or you're calling out to prospective clients or customers. So in those scenarios, a lot of these things that we've talked about apply directly. I mentioned that if you're a retailer, well, that's a slightly different case. You're not going to be presenting your value proposition to someone who comes into your shop, but I want you to think about it from the perspective of how else do you communicate that value proposition? And of course, like I mentioned, there might be home services company. A lot of time in those cases, you might get a lead online, for example, and then you have to follow up with them. So what is your process for all of that? I'm going to talk about that in more detail here in just a moment, the sales process. From a business to business perspective, you have some different considerations. As I mentioned, you've got gatekeepers and influencers. You typically, depending on the size of that company, are not going to be able to pick up the phone and get directly through to the decision maker unless you've got a prior connection or relationship that you're leveraging. So we have to learn to get past what we call gatekeepers, the, the admin, the secretary, the assistant, uh, the manager, whoever it might be, who you probably have to get through or get you know, help you get to the people who are actually going to make the decision. That's a lot more complex of a sales process. And so there you need to make sure you've got a solid process in place and have developed and practiced and fine-tuned certain skills 
that help you get through those different phases. Maybe you're offering consulting services. Maybe you're a supplier to other businesses. Again, when you're talking about B2B, there's a level of complexity, depending, of course, on the price point of what you're offering. So I just wanted to set the stage there and understand that, yes, of course, there are differences here as to how we execute on this, how we deliver sales, depending on what type of business you are. Let me share with you at a high level now, a typical sales process. And I'm generalizing here and, and talking very high level. You may need or not need some of these steps, but this is generally, these are the steps in the process at a high level. There's the initial engagement. So again, marketing, ideally your marketing efforts and your advertisement as a component of your marketing generates interest or what we refer to as leads, opportunities. Again, typically in the case of when we're selling to a consumer or even to businesses. If we're talking about retail, that marketing obviously hopefully generates traffic people in the door. So this process relates more to not the retail type client, not the retail type and setting, but any other setting where you're having to engage with the lead and convince them that your solution is the best for them. So that's what this process generally relates to. It doesn't apply as much obviously to a retail scenario or even to that point, an e-commerce site. But for all of those other types of businesses, this is typically how to think about the sales process. So we initial that initial engagement, marketing generates interest, generates leads, and then you have to work those leads. A couple of tips here that are really powerful. That is depending on how you're dependent, depending on how you're dependent your business is for leads, and that's important to you. In other words, generating a stream of constant qualified leads is important, then a couple of things. It's important to begin to qualify and segment those leads so that you work on the most qualified leads first. That's what's most important. That's how you prioritize. Again, some of you might be thinking, well, I wish I had that problem. I don't have that many leads. Fair. But hopefully as you get to a point where everything does start working well and you are in an industry and, and in a situation where you're generating lots of leads, I want you to think about that. How do I prioritize? And it's always the most qualified leads first. So you want to think of it as a funnel, a sales funnel, and we're trying to generate at the top of that funnel as many leads as possible. But leads require some level of nurturing, as we say, depending on the type of business that you're in, the type of product or service that you sell. So your marketing effort and sometimes even your sales effort might require that you nurture that lead. That means that that person might have expressed interest, but they're not ready to buy either because they haven't learned enough or they haven't really understood your value proposition or they haven't developed enough trust with you to buy it. And so that's why we have a process. But remember, if you are in a situation where you have lots of leads coming in, it's key that you qualify those leads and work the most qualified first. The other key component is being as responsive as possible. And that's really, this really applies across the board. I mean, you could be, for example, a medical practice and you have inbound calls from prospective new patients. The most important thing you can do is to be sure that you answer those calls as promptly as possible, ideally by a live person. And then if you're not able to handle them right away, at least you've answered the phone, you've acknowledged their interest, maybe you've qualified them a little bit to make sure that they called the right place and that you have at least at a high level the types of, in this continuing with this example, the right type of medical services that they're looking for. But once you've qualified them, then either 
Ideally, you book an appointment or if it requires a callback, you tell them when you're going to be able to follow up and you do that as quickly as possible. In all sales, the sooner you respond to an opportunity, the better. What happens is, is people will move on to the next option, if at all possible. So if we don't return those calls or we don't answer the call, then people get very quickly frustrated and will move to the next one on the list or will find someone else or ask for another recommendation. So that is most critical at that very top of the process. When people contact us, we need to respond as quickly as possible. The next step in the process, again, depending on what you offer, is what we call discovery. And you may have no discovery or lots of discovery, again, depending on the complexity of the product or service that you offer. But discovery is just a general term for that step in the process where now you're uncovering, understanding, listening, asking questions to understand that prospective buyer's pains, needs, and desires. So I touched on this a moment ago, the, the, the need to understand what those pains, needs, or desires are that you can help address. So that's what we're, we're doing in the discovery phase is we're having the prospective buyers share with us by asking questions and listening, what are their pains, their needs, their desires, and then beginning to position the value of what we have to offer to address those pains or needs or desires. So it's all about asking questions. So this, in this stage, but really this is a key component of sales, regardless of any kind of sales that you do, where you're interacting with someone, where you have the opportunity to interact with someone, is asking good questions. And the more prepared you are with the good questions to ask, the better. And you'll be prepared if you've given thought to the points I made already about who is your target uh, avatar, your ideal customer or client, what are the pains and needs and desires that you address? And putting together that list of questions ahead of time that are good questions to ask to help them uncover, to help you uncover and have them share with you what those are. It's about asking good questions. That really is one of the key components, probably the two key things. The other one is listening. I'll talk about that in a moment but asking good questions. I believe that you can tell the quality of a salesperson by the questions that they ask. I think that you can tell who's a good communicator, period, based on the questions that they ask. Asking good questions is fundamental to being able to connect with a prospective buyer, to understand what they really need, and then proposing a solution for their need, their pain, or their desire. As opposed to, I'm just going to tell you everything that we do, all of the features of my product, and I'll let you stop me when you've heard enough. That is a really bad approach that not only exhausts and confuses and potentially paralyzes a potential buyer, but it just doesn't connect. It doesn't connect. So that's what we call the discovery phase where we're learning about the buyer's pains, needs, or desire, and asking questions. And then once we proceed with that with that prospective buyer, if they continue to be qualified, then we go more into the, the heart of the sales process, which is now we present back to them our proposed solution for them. And again, I'm, I'm taking this at a very high level and, and taking it step by step, depending on what you offer a product or service, you may spend more or less or completely skip some of these steps. So understand that. I just think it's important to break it down step by step to understand what a sales process can look like. And then hopefully you'll take from this the pieces that make sense 
for what you're offering. But the sales process is about positioning your solution. Now that we hopefully clearly understand or as clearly as possible, depending on the situation in time, now that I clearly understand our prospective buyer's needs, pains, or desire, I can now propose a solution as opposed to just a product or service. And I know that word is overused, solution. Everybody throws around the word solution. But in its true usage, and if, if you're really doing sales correctly, it really is, ideally, a solution, your proposed solution, for the pain, need, or desire that they have. Now, part of that, again, depending on your situation, is knowing your competition. What are they going to offer? How are they going to potentially position against you? Meaning, what are they going to say about you? And I, by the way, do not believe in directly naming competitors unless it's just obvious or the specific situation dictates. I prefer to do it in a way that you you highlight your strengths and then the buyer is smart enough. The buyers will know if you explain it to them the right way that that's something that maybe the competition doesn't have. I don't think we have to be uh, sleazy, for lack of a better word, about positioning against our competition, but we must respect our competition, learn about them, and that's a continuous process because they're going to be adjusting and shifting just like you are. So it's never, I learn about them and I'm done. You're always learning about what the competition is doing. Just to jump ahead, a great question after you uh, close a piece of business, you sell somebody someone or they join your membership or whatever the case might be. If you're able to ask people, why did you select this? Uh, I know you were considering another option. I'm curious if you'd share with me why you ended up selecting us. That is invaluable information that if you can gather that, especially in that early honeymoon phase, as we call it, of your relationship with that client, you will get tremendous insights into what it is that you're doing well and how to continue doing more of that. So your sales process, though, as I'm going through these phases, needs to be documented as much as possible and as it makes sense. It could be just a flow chart, a, a, a process map that lays out the primary steps. And if you have nothing right now, I would encourage you to start there. Just map it out. And you might start in a brainstorming session, you and your partner or you and your salesperson or salespersons in a room, putting sticky notes up on the wall to kind of lay out the key steps in the process. And then what you'll do over time is start to identify where, where are the weak points? Where are the bottlenecks? Where can we improve things? Maybe we need a, a bit more nurturing of leads up front and and maybe a, a download document might help with that or a video might help with that or a series of follow-up emails because follow-up is the next key component in the process. And as I've often heard said, the gold is in the follow-up. And yet it's something that we almost instinctively have a, a resistance to. And I think it's because we feel like maybe we're pestering people or bothering them, but it is our responsibility if we want to get these sales that we follow up with people after that initial interaction. So let, let's say that your sales process, people come in to see what you have to offer either to your showroom or to your space of your space or whatever the case might be. And, and that's a, a, a key event in the sales process where they come in for a, a demonstration for lack of a, of a better word. Following up then, if they didn't make a decision right then and there, which is often the case, people usually like to think about it or look at the numbers or converse with their spouse or partner or whatever the case might be. That follow-up is critical. 
You know, sometimes it's as simple as people get busy, they get distracted, they get back into the rhythm of everything else that they're dealing with. And while this decision to buy your product or service may well be important to them, it's it's gotten pushed down on the list because they've gotten busy or sidetracked. So sometimes it's just a matter of staying in front of them to help them come to that decision point. So one of the things I do here, again, if your business, your sales process is such that it requires follow-up, I would set a standard. And one of the businesses that I'm involved in now, we set a standard of seven touch points after that initial sales event where we met with the prospective client. Seven touch points. Now those can be any combination of emails and we have some standard templates that, that we use to follow up. Could be a text could be a phone call, could be any combination thereof. And only after seven attempts with no response do we consider that as a dead lead or a dead opportunity. Now, there's also negotiation. Now, negotiation can can fall in, in many steps here, right? Really, the truth is that you are always in a negotiation, and we have to be aware of that. And it's a matter of who has the leverage at any point in time, whether it's real or perceived, Who has the leverage is really who has the upper hand in any negotiation. So you have to be aware of that. I had a great conversation and interview with a a young man by the name of Kwame Christian. He's he's young to me, but he's he's a very established and experienced attorney and negotiation expert. He was on episode 316 of the How of Business. In fact, he's been on the show twice, and he's an expert on negotiation. That episode title was Confident Negotiation with Kwame Christian. Excellent episode to think about or to listen to rather if you feel like maybe your negotiation skills aren't great or I think all of us can always improve, not just in sales, but certainly in negotiation. Just remember, everything is a negotiation. And so a lot of it is about positioning and there are very specific skills and tactics that we can bring into play that again, aren't you can perceive them as manipulation, so be it. The reality is that that's what's happening. So we need to be aware of it as a business owner that we are entering into a negotiation of sorts. Again, depending on the product and service that you're offering more to to an extent than others. If if, uh, my prices are set, then there may not be any negotiation. But certainly if I'm offering services or other packages or my prices are somewhat negotiable, then I need to be prepared for how to do that as effectively as possible. All right, so as we've been breaking this down, I have that initial engagement of that lead that comes in, the discovery process, which is what we refer to as that asking of questions. And again, that I'm going through it here sequentially, but these things overlap. You're always ideally asking questions to some extent. Then there's the heart of the sales process where you are proposing, positioning, customizing your solution, or it could be as simple, well, let me go and get off the rack the thing that I think best suits you. That's an example of it from a retail perspective. Or on my website, after making certain decisions or clicking on certain menu structures, I'm gonna navigate you to the the solution that I think fits you best, right? There's follow-up, critical, critical to any kind of sales where you are meeting with a prospective client or they're coming to your place of business and they're often not making the decision right then and there. Or maybe you have to follow up with a quote for those particular services. That's often common with home services, for example. And then you need to follow up on that quote to see if they want to move forward, right? So there's that part of it. The follow-up is critical. Negotiation, again, 
happens from the moment we start talking to someone, if not before. We have to understand that that's happening and get better and better at that. And then ideally, we get to a close. Ideally, it's a win in our favor, but could be a loss as well. And the debriefing after a close, win or loss, is probably one of the most valuable things you can do in any sales process. It's easy to do when we win, right? It's it's positive. We all want to talk about wins. It's a lot harder to do when we lose a deal. But I'll tell you, in my sales experience, when you debrief on a loss, as painful as it can be, there's a heck of a lot to learn. My tip there is, especially if it's there's a team or there's other people involved, if it's not just you, or even if it's just you, don't go into it with the let's point fingers as to what we did wrong and why we lost. Instead, go into it as to how can we learn from this? What can we adjust? Where was the disconnect? What could we have done better? What could we do better next time? And if you go to it honestly and genuinely with that attitude, you're going to get a lot out of it. I want to inject an important note here about closing. In a sales cycle or sales process that involves meeting with or having some sort of communication with a prospective client, it's important that we ask for the business. This is often where I see a big disconnect business owners hesitating to ask for the business, to go for the close, especially if you've not done any type of sales before. You feel, again, that it might be pushy or presumptive. But in fact, we do sometimes, if not always, need to ask for the business. And there's all kinds of different ways to do that so that it doesn't come across as pushy or aggressive do it within your style or tone, but we do have to ask for the business. And we want to ask for the business at the right time. But once you've asked your questions, you understand what their pain, need, or desire is, you've proposed a custom solution, you've gotten validation from them that this is of value to them, then that is usually the appropriate time to ask for the business. Now, they might say, I'm not ready, or I need to consult with someone else, or whatever their process might be. That's fine, but you'll be surprised as how often people need to be asked to actually finalize a deal or a transaction or, or a sale. And so that's why it's so critical that we learn how to ask for the business. Now, related to this, but throughout, but certainly at this point, you need to be tracking your win rate or your close rate. That's a, a critical statistic that you need to track. Of all of the leads that you worked that came in that became prospects, in other words, you had an, a sales interaction with them of one sort or another, how many of those that you close, and we express that as a percentage or what's often called the win or a close rate. It's a critical piece of data that if you're not tracking that now, you must begin to track that if you have any kind of sales process like the one I described. Regardless of your sales process or the type of product or service that you offer, let's talk about generally some characteristics of great salespeople. What are those components? And this is not a comprehensive list, but these are the things that, that come to mind to me as some of the more critical things that we have to develop. And I want to make sure I, I emphasize that because I think that for the majority, if not all of these characteristics, we can develop these skills or characteristics. I do not believe that you're either born as a salesperson or not. Are there some of us, again, as I said at the outset, that have a predisposition? Of course there are. Again, people who are come to it with strong communication skills, you're going to have an advantage. But I would say to you, though, that again, being able to communicate 
the value of your business is something that as small business owners, we must learn. Because whether you're actually going to be the person selling the product or service or not, certainly when we get started, you must be the champion for your business or one of the key, if not the leading champion for your business, which means you have to communicate the value proposition of your business, whether it's to investors or to partners or to your team, or if in the case of you actually doing or leading your sales efforts. So we don't we don't get to hide from being the the person who leads in communicating the value of our business. So what are some of those characteristics? Empathy is one of them. I think that's towards the top of the list. Being able to connect emotionally. Some people refer to this as emotional intelligence, which is that ability to effectively read, maybe influence and control and react to emotions. But the empathy component is is a key part of it. Being able to put yourself in the position in the shoes of that prospective buyer. That is critical. And again, I think we're all born with that. Maybe some of us are more tapped into it than others, but we can all learn how to do that or at least focus on that as it relates to selling the value proposition of our business. Of course, to that end, I can't communicate the value proposition or what my product does or what my service offers or how it can help you if I don't have a deep understanding of it. But listen, I I have to think that all of you listening as business owners, you have a deep understanding of what it is that you offer. If you don't, if maybe because you've acquired this business or you're new to the industry, maybe it's a franchise that you're considering, whatever the case might be, then this has to be top of top of list is to dive into understanding your solution in particular and perhaps the broader industry and how you fit in. I mentioned the, the two key things, asking good questions and the other part, I think, of being an effective communicator, therefore a good salesperson is deep listening skills. On episode 233 of The How of Business, I had the pleasure of chatting with Oscar Trimboli. And Oscar Trimboli is an expert at deep listening. That episode's entitled Developing Deep Listening Skills with Oscar Trimboli. And he talks about there what is really something that we have to work on. It really is a skill, a habit, a discipline of listening to other people. And this will help you, I assure you, this will help you in all facets of leading your business because I think we can all get better at listening. But in sales in particular, the better questions we ask and the better we listen, deeply listen, the more effectively we're going to understand that prospective buyer's pains, needs, emotions, and what it is that they're looking for. And then it facilitates my ability to offer them, ideally, something that helps them. So that's all at the core of the characteristic that, of course, is at the foundation of being a good salesperson, which is to be a strong communicator. You have to have those high interpersonal skills. You have to have active listening, as I just mentioned. You have to be a clear and concise communicator. You have to ask great questions. And you have to get good at communicating benefits. Not features, but benefits. You have to understand the difference between those two things. I can list off rattle off the 20 things that my product does and hope that my prospective buyer will hear one that means something to them, or I've clearly understood as much as possible what my buyer needs, and now I can highlight a solution for them, not give them a laundry list of potential benefits for them to pick from. That's much more effective. 
And, and it makes the process of selling so much more enjoyable because now you really can believe and embrace and uh, focus on the fact that you really are delivering value for this prospective buyer, not just something they may or may not need. You're not tricking them. You're not selling them something they may not have any use for. Another characteristic or group of characteristics is you have to bring to it passion, energy, enthusiasm, and of course, a belief, as I just said, that what you have to offer is of value. You have to believe that. It's really hard to do this, although it can be done. And of course, you've probably been at the receiving end of it. But ideally, the business that you have, the product and services that you offer, you really believe in. And you believe that it can help people or provide them whatever it is that they're looking for. You know, it might not be necessarily a pain. It might be uh, uh, an aspiration that they have that you're providing. But you have to bring to it passion, enthusiasm. And as the owner of the business, you have to communicate that to your team if you're not the one doing directly the selling. That's got to come across on your website if that's the primary platform on which you are communicating your value proposition. And in all of this, as I've just mentioned, I think it needs to be based on honesty and integrity. Now, we're still selling, okay? And people confuse that. People, people think, well, I can't sell and then be completely honest. And that's not true. I think you have to understand the separation there. In, in sales, we don't lie, but sometimes we do need to, to highlight the better side of what we offer, right? And that I can do that and still have honesty and integrity because I think that if I look out for the customer and I truly qualify that we are a fit for them and I truly and honestly and genuinely don't try to sell them something they don't need or they can't afford, then I think I'm, I'm sticking to my integrity and, and feeling good about what I am doing. You need to be coachable. So the last characteristic I'll mention here of great salespeople is you have to always want to learn is what I mean by being coachable. You have to be open to new ideas. That's why that debriefing after a sale, whether you win or lose, is so powerful. You have to be open to saying, you know, maybe I'll try this slightly differently or I'll say it this way. Everybody can do this. And if you're going to be a small business owner, I challenge you that you need to be able to do these things regardless of what type of sales you might specifically be doing yourself. So let's talk about sales tools just briefly, depending again on how many transactions, how many leads you're working. If you are in a business where you have leads coming in that need to be tracked, that need to be nurtured, that you need to keep track of when you spoke with them and how you followed up with them, or you need to send them a series of follow-up emails, then you need a CRM system, a customer relationship management system. And there's lots of them out there, uh, including systems like HubSpot, Insightly, or Soho. Uh, I don't have necessarily a preference, although I have some experience with HubSpot, and they have a free version, which might be good enough at least for you to get started. But you need a tool, a system that helps you manage all of these leads and the relationships, hence why they're called CRM, Customer Relationship Management, to foster and develop these relationships. Related to that, and some of these CRMs include this, uh, but some of them, it may, it may make sense to have it in a separate system that talk to each other, and that is an email marketing platform like MailChimp or Constant Contact. On episode 415 of the How a Business, I did a whole episode on email marketing, 
And so if that's something that's new to you or you want to learn more about, I encourage you to listen to episode 415 of the How a Business about email marketing. Now, there are other tools. If you're a retailer, then certainly you depend on a POS system, a point of sale system that does more than just be a cash register, but allows you to track as well who your customers are, their spending habits, maybe conduct a or manage a loyalty program. So that that's another tool that's essential to you if you're a retailer. But be sure you identify and implement the right tools at the right time to support your sales process. Now, let me share with you some thoughts, some further thoughts. If you have a team, a sales team, whether it's one person or a group of people that do the selling at your organization. So that's for those companies that have a sales team. A few things for you to think about. First is where I often find the biggest challenge is your comp plan, the compensation plan, how you pay them and incent them to behave a certain way. You always have to revisit that and make sure, A, that your salespeople have a clear understanding of how it works, how they make money and how they have a potential to earn more. So simple is usually better, especially at the beginning. And then is it incenting or motivating them to do the right things? So if you're seeing a particular behavior that isn't in alignment with how you want them to behave, often if you look at how you're compensating someone, it'll tell you why it is that they're behaving that way. One of the things with sales plans, sales compensation plans that I always recommend is a sales comp plan isn't forever. Usually in more sophisticated, larger environments like corporate environments, a comp plan will be for a year and in every year, the details of it can change. The The motivational components of it can change. The quota components definitely change. So that is how it's done. I encourage you that when you roll out a comp plan, even from the beginning, that you say this is the 2022 compensation plan, for example. That sets a tone that this comp plan, the way it's currently structured, isn't forever. We're going to continue to evolve it depending on the needs of the business and the needs of our customers. Another thing to think about is, is your sales team or your salespeople accountable also for the delivery or implementation of that product or service? It may not make sense in every environment, but typically it goes back to the alignment point. If a salesperson is only compensated in measuring on closing a new deal, then you are incenting them to perhaps not be as worried about, can that customer actually realize the value, implement it, use it the right way. So think about, is their compensation have a component that's tied to your client, your customer, actually being able to implement or achieve certain benefits or whatever the case might be in your particular business. The other thing to think about then is, are you supporting them correctly? Do your salespeople have the resources that they need to do their job. And resources is a broad term, right? It could mean tools, could mean technologies, it could be marketing materials, all kinds of things that you're always looking at to answer that question, does my sales team or salesperson have what they need to be effective in their role? And then invest in them just like you need to invest in yourself in developing skills. It's critical as salespeople whether they're on our team or it's ourselves, that we continue to develop and invest in developing our skills. There's a couple of downloads that uh, I'll have on the show notes page for this episode and a 
recommended resource link. The downloads go back to what I was referring to as the avatar. I have an avatar profile worksheet that'll help you with creating or perhaps revisiting because that's often something I encourage as well. Maybe it's been a couple of years since you defined your target client. And what can happen is we slip off of that or we lose focus. So this worksheet will help you with defining your target avatar. And then the other download is what I call the elevator pitch worksheet and guide that'll help you craft your elevator pitch or revisit your current elevator pitch. And then you can see, you know, are we communicating that message effectively on our website? Are we all at least at a high level communicating the same value proposition on our team? Do we have a concise definition of that? And is that what we're sharing in all of our marketing and advertising and throughout our sales process? And the recommended resource, I'm, I'm a big fan of HubSpot and I'm not compensated for this, but I really like a lot of the materials that they have, the free resources that they have to learn about sales and marketing. And in particular, I'll have a link to a blog post that's entitled 15 tried and true ways to improve your sales skills. And that's on the HubSpot website. So I'll have a link to that because I thought that was a great synopsis of the um, characteristics of a, a salesperson. Their list is a lot longer than mine, but I have some of those things on there and uh, where to get started, how to develop your sales skills. So that's a great resource that I would recommend. So what are my key takeaways for you as a small business owner, as it relates to sales? First and foremost is to change your mindset about sales if you're coming to it with those preconceived notions that it's a four-letter word or that it's not something I'm good at or that it's about manipulation. You really need to rethink it and have a mindset shift about really what it's about and how we have to, as the business owner, be responsible for being able to sell or communicate our value proposition to our buyers. Learn as much about the problem or needs of your target buyer. When you do that, then you really are able to communicate effectively a solution, your value proposition to that buyer. And then if it's a fit, if it's a fit, and if it's not, then that's okay too. You're not trying to manipulate or cheat or trick anyone into buying something they don't need. And if you will spend the time to uncover what those needs are, then the more likely it is that your value proposition, well, first of all, you might decide, well, this is not a fit, and so you identify that as early as possible. But if it is, you communicate what your value proposition is. You do have to do some follow-up, but it's not about high-pressure sales. That's really not, in most environments, what's most effective anyway. You have to be willing to learn and develop your skills related to sales and really fundamentally related to communication. Get the help that you need. Get some training, get some coaching. I hope that's one of the things I help my clients with, my coaching clients with, is this whole concept of sales. So get help or get training. There's lots of courses, lots of free resources, and then just do it. Have the courage, the courage to do it because until you start doing it, and refining your approach and refining your techniques over time, you're not going to get better at it. So we have to get out there and do it and communicate our value proposition. And that's how you will get better and better at sales from a small business owner perspective. I wish you the best as you continue to plan for starting or growing your successful and profitable small business. This is Henry Lopez. Thanks for joining me for this episode of The How of Business. 
I release new episodes every Monday morning, and you can find the show anywhere you listen to podcasts or at my website, thehowofbusiness.com. Thanks for listening. Thank you for listening to The How of Business. For more information about our coaching programs, online courses, show notes pages, links, and other resources, please visit thehowofbusiness.com.